We're going to be uh, filming tonight because uh, we're trying to capture this series called Five Keys um, so we can make it available to people who aren't here. And uh, so this book is also available in the, in the Welcome Center if you're interested in studying that this summer. It's a study about how to study. So let's pray. Turn our time over to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your ways. Lord, we need to understand your word. We need to be people of the book. Help us to do that in a fresh way this summer. Help me to do it. Help us to do it. Lord, that we meditate upon your word and allow it to transform us. We'd use it as a polis on our sins and our habits to, to eradicate them and to bring healing. Lord, we just thank you for this time together and to remind us of the things that are truly important to your heart. Use this time, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been teaching for the past few weeks on a subject called Five Keys. And um, it's a study about how to study. Uh, we need to know how to study God's Word. And, and there's so many so many teachers out there, so many voices, so much teaching available, more than perhaps ever has been available before uh, in the history of the world. And the, you have access to it, YouTube, podcasts, conferences, more than I ever experienced growing up. I remember, you know, ch choosing, choosing to go to an event. It was like rare to be able to get to something. Now there's, there's stuff happening all the time. And there's just no way that we can police that. There's no way that we want to... Uh, pastor, uh, you in such a way we say, don't go here, don't go there, don't subscribe to this teaching, don't get this magazine, don't go, don't listen to this. Uh, we don't think that's healthy. We don't think that's the way to grow. So the way to deal with that, we think, because there's so much out there and people are are foraging farther and farther afield. The only way to really teach it is to help people to understand how to study, how to hear truth when people teach something. Uh, you hear a Bible teacher, you'll be able to use these simple five keys to be able to know whether to knock that thing on the head and throw it over the fence or whether to wrap your heart around it and let it change you because we want you to go deeper. We want you to experience new things. There's just no way this church or any one church, we just don't have a corner on it. There's just no way that we could provide all that you need to grow. You have to, you have to search. You have to look. You have to listen. And so uh, these five keys... The first one, the real big one, is that everything that God is, is saying or has said can be established by two or three witnesses. You should be able to find it somewhere else in the Bible. Uh, most crazy, flaky, weird kind of teaching, almost all legalism, is based on one verse that's twisted, that's, that's uh, altered in some way to mean something that the author perhaps didn't intend. And so... To have two or three witnesses, that's a safeguard that God has built in. Uh, to be able to read the context and look at it and say, is this, is this consistent with what the author was saying? Because almost every whacked out piece of teaching you'll ever hear is taken out of context. It's not what they intended. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew, but you should know how to use a dictionary. And uh, a strong concordance is a basic tool that we can all have access to. It's... it's uh, it's available, widely available. And so just to be able to know a little bit about 
how to search a word out because we see where people use an English word to mean one thing, but that's not what it meant in the Bible. And to be able to see what the original language says. I look, I look stuff up in my devotions practically every day in a, in a little dictionary. And it doesn't get any easier than it does these days. I can just go through my phone, uh, my Bible on my phone, touch the word, and the Strong's comes right out of the, right out of the phone. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, to, to be able to step back and ask, another key is to step back and say, could this possibly be, have been what the author intended? Uh, there's things where Paul talks about uh, our, our righteousness is by faith, our salvation is by faith. Then there's people who add things to our salvation that looks like it's all works. And so if it conflicts with what he said in another place, there's no way we can accept that. And then the final one, the smallest key here, this one here, it's small, but boy, it's useful. Um, uh, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You don't have to go outside the Bible to understand the Bible. And so often someone will teach something and they'll say, well, uh, the reason I understand what Paul is saying is I read a book that described the cultural uh, trends of the day. And because I read this book, I know what he's saying. Well, what about the boy in Brooklyn or Belize or, or Bogota? How he may not have access to that book, so that means that he won't be able to understand the Bible because he doesn't have access to some historical book. So we should be able to say, well, if it's not in the Bible, it's not useful. It's not something that we have to build into our life. It's not something that we have to make a major doctrine out of. And it happens all the time. Here's one you've all heard. We've heard it taught that the reason women should be veiled and have a, a piece of cloth on their head is because the prostitutes in Corinth were unveiled and Paul wanted the women of his church to look distinctly different than the prostitutes. He didn't want our people being confused as a prostitute, so therefore you must be veiled, otherwise people will think you're a prostitute. How many have heard that teaching before? I, I thought that would be more common. Anyway, and so you ask the guy, where did you learn that? Because I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. And they said, well, I read this dusty old book on, on um, culture, Greek culture at Corinth during that time, and that was something that they said. Again, that book's not widely, it's not universal, it's not available for everyone, so it's a disadvantage to the young student who would never find that tool. So the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Why don't you turn with me to 1 John, first letter of John, chapter 2. I want you, I want you to study. I want you to learn. I want you to continually look for new things and, and stimulating things that keep your faith alive, that feed your heart, that keep you growing. But... These days, there's just so much stuff out there that's either irrelevant, unhealthy, uh, not practical, not biblical. And so, um, but it's not, it's not geez, these days. Listen to this. This is what John was talking about when he talked about his day 2,000 years ago. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the, it is the last hour. And you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, 
by which we know it is the last hour. Well, if it was the last hour 2,000 years ago, we must be down to the last minutes. I mean, this is 2,000 years ago that he was concerned, and there's other verses that talk about him concerned about a spirit that is, is anti-Christ. And um, it's not someone just walking around with 666 in their forehead. Listen to this as he goes on. He says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they're not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be manifest that none of them were of us. So he's talking about Christians who didn't make it. Christians who started off with Christ and then became antichrist. Isn't that wild? That Christians going with the Lord, experiencing the Lord, he said they were, they were part of our church. If there was a revival of just people that I've known who used to walk with the Lord, who no longer walk with the Lord the way they were at one time, none of our churches would be big enough that we, we couldn't contain all the people who'd be going to church if there was just a revival of, of people who used to be walking with the Lord. And that was happening in John's day. He said, they were with us. They were with us. They went out from us. So it's not like, um, it's not like this cult that was kind of a pagan cult that he was concerned about. He was actually talking about people who are believers who went off. And that's what we're concerned about. There's a lot of that these days, it seems like, but it's nothing new. It was happening in John's day. But listen to what he says. Here's the remedy. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. Turn to the person next to you and say, I have an anointing. <laughs> Try this. Say, I know all things. <laughs> See how far you get with that. Well, it doesn't mean you're know-it-all, and it doesn't mean you're you know, brimming with information. No, there's, a, there's a kind of knowing where you know things at a heart level. There's a knowing that you know that you know. We've heard that said that way. He's, you, you know all things. He said, um, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and there's no lie, uh, there, and there is no lie, I'm sorry, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now look at verse 24. We're only going to go for the next three, three or four verses. Therefore, let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, and you also abide in the Son and in the Father, and, as the, and this is the promise that he has promised, eternal life. That's Zoe. We were talking about Zoe a few weeks ago. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone teach you. But the same anointing which teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it taught you, you should abide in him. So let's take some time with this and take this apart. 
It's all in the abiding. I remember as a young Christian, uh, I ran into some false teaching, and it scared me. And, the, and I, I was shocked that the Lord would let me actually experience that. Uh, but he does. He lets every one of us experience that early, just like he lets us be offended. He doesn't protect us from that. Uh, there's a place where we can actually grow closer to him through that experience. So it hit me. And I went to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I'm just so afraid of, of, of being deceived. What can keep me from being deceived? I'd seen some people by that time going off in the wrong direction. I said, what can keep me from being deceived? And Jesus spoke to my heart, and he says, you stay close to me and, and stay in my word. Now, that's actually what this is saying in verse 24. You abide. You abide in me. Abide in the Lord. Every, and and, and that, that, that's more than just praying. That's saying, Jesus, what do you think about this? And Jesus, help me with this. Answer me this. Tell me this. How would you do this? It's, it's a relationship where you go to Jesus, and you talk with him, and he helps you with everything you're going through. You also abide in his word. And it's not just being, um, you know, just having regular devotions. We need to go deep into this. We need to make this part of our life's work. Abide in him and abide in the Father. Out of that comes Zoe. Out of that comes life. And we're Zoe hunters. We're addicted to Zoe. Verse 27, and the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you need not that anyone teach you, but the same anointing teaches you. So there's an anointing that teaches you. Here's how I understand this. When you receive Jesus, he comes into your heart and he smears you with himself. There's a sense of Jesus smearing your heart. And because he's in you and because he's smeared you with himself, that goes off in you almost like a smoke detector. It goes off in you like an alarm where, where you hear something that's not true and your heart where, that's been smeared by, the, by Christ, the anointed one, it triggers a, a response that says, this is not true, this is not true. Or it will trigger a response that says, this is true, this is true. And we need to learn how to how to uh, let that anointing guide us. Jesus is the anointed one. It's, it, his last name wasn't Christ. That's not what was on his mailbox. His, Jesus, the anointed one. So when he comes in you, he smears you. That anointing is inside of you. It's in every believer. Now, the reason I think he did this is the Father said, before people has a, have a chance to get their theology all straightened around, get their theology all laid out, they're going to need some protection from the evil one who's trying to deceive them, who's trying to dis, uh, uh, take them off in a different direction. And what, what they come up with is that Jesus, when he comes into our hearts, will actually activate something called the anointing that everyone can have before your theology gets worked out. It's a tremendous grace. So at a head level, you may not know anything. I mean, I didn't know anything. I was starting in Genesis. I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know these verses. I hadn't got that far in the in the book. I started in Genesis, you know, and start making my. I got lost in Job, and uh, struggled with Malachi, and 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 making my way through. But it took me a while before I got the first John. But 
I found out that it was true. I found out by experience. I began to know about this anointing before I even read about what John was saying. This anointing saved my life. This anointing is one of the most profound graces. Imagine, imagine the, the wonder of being able to say, I know what this preacher is teaching about and that it's wrong, even though you've never studied, even though you've never heard it before, even though it's not something that you've, you've majored on. You can know at a heart level what your head can never figure out. It's a tremendous grace. Back in 78, 1978, I met the Lord and right from the very beginning, I started going to these conferences in a nearby city of Hamilton, Ontario. And they were great. God was using them in my life. They changed my life. Uh, I was prophesied to uh, one of the very first times. It was a very public, powerful, life-changing prophecy. And so I kept going to these conferences. And so uh, about the third conference in, I hit a wall. The conference was as flaky as, the, as it comes, flaky as it gets. People were doing weird things. People were preaching weird things. People were vaunting themselves. There was arrogance. Uh, there are people who were just uh, holding people hostage. They wanted, to, they wanted to tell their testimony. They wanted to tell their story. And just uh, people couldn't leave the room. They'd make them stay there. They'd hear them teach. And it was just all stuff that was awful. One example that blew me away, you know, when people were prophesying, I'd get up front. I wanted to see how this worked. I wanted to, I wanted to hear. I, I could hear back then, but I wanted to hear what was going on. I wanted to learn, see what was going on. And um, this guy, he's going down the line. He has a line of people who've come up for prayer. And so he's prophesying over each one. So I'm getting to, to watch and to listen and see what, how he's doing this. And he takes this woman takes her by the hands, and he's holding her hands, and I could hear him say, there's a man coming into your life. God's going to send a man into your life. And then all of a sudden, I watched his finger touch her rings, her wedding rings. And all of a sudden, he, his eyes got big, his, his face got white. He just dropped her hands and went to the next person. Well, when I saw that, I was so shocked, so disappointed. Another guy who, who I had been ministered to, in previous years, he started calling people out, and he'd say, back here, your mom, she's in the hospital, and she, but she's going to be fine. The Lord just wants you to know she's going to be fine. So I went up to where the guy was. I was standing just among all the young people uh, when he was talking, and people, all the people who were prophesying over, they would come up, and, the, and they said, boy, we're confused because our mom's not in the hospital. And it was stuff like that every day. But the weird thing was, I felt like I was the only one that was seeing it. I felt like somehow I'm the only one that's not enjoying this conference. I'd have coffee with people, complete strangers, and I'd, I didn't want to backmouth, I didn't want to badmouth these people, but I would say, what do you guys think about this meeting, and what do you think about what you just heard in there? And they'd say, well, it seems fine, it seems great. Oh, we love it. And I'm inside, I'm, I'm dying, I'm thinking, this is so off. How come no one else is seeing it? And you begin to doubt yourself. You begin to think maybe you're too strict, maybe you're too narrow. Or I, I'm not sure, but I, I, I really became alarmed. I felt like Alice in Wonderland. If you know the story, Alice is, she's normal, and everybody else in the story, the Mad Hatter and everybody else is crazy. 
but they make her look like she's the strange one. She's the only one that's normal. They all make her look like she's the strange one. I felt like I was Alice in Wonderland at this conference. But there was one Bible teacher there who I trusted, who, you know, he's standing there day by day teaching the book of Ephesians, just a straight arrow, a real godly and powerful man. And uh, he was very credible to me, very believable. And he was also a prophet. And so I thought, if I could just get to him and if I could ask him, do you see anything wrong here? <laughs> Am I the only one? Are, are you hearing things that are off in this conference? And I just, I needed to find out from somebody. And he's the only one that I trusted. And so I tried to get to him. And, and he wasn't avoiding me, but I wasn't connecting. I'd go in one room and he'd go out the other door. And, and finally, I saw him down this hallway. And so I began going against the crowd of people to get to where he was. Finally, by the time I got up to him and pulled on his sleeve, I'm, I'm red-faced, wide-eyed, trembling and saying, I, I look like a crazy man. I'm saying, Don't, do you see anything wrong here? Is there anything that's off? I mean, are you seeing stuff that I'm seeing? But I look crazy to him. And, and he just... He just kind of sighed, and he looked at me, and I said, surely there's, there's stuff that's wrong here. Do you see it as well? And he gave me the right answer. It wasn't the answer I wanted, but it was the right answer. He said, young man, you have to take your concerns to the convener of the conference, the man who's in charge of it. That's him over there. That's, that's Mr. Brown. Go see him. He wouldn't take my my concerns, and it left me, left me with nothing. I don't remember that part of the story, whether I talked to Mr. Brown or whether I tried to, or I can't recall anything about that, but I do recall driving about 100 miles from that place to another pastor, someone that I knew, someone that I could sit down with and explain the whole thing to. This is in 1970, probably 1979, during the gas crisis. Gas was expensive. But I had to know. I was really thrown off by this. So I drove all the way down to a little place called Wooler, where there's a pastor there. And he, and he brought me in and sat me down. And I just went at it. I just shared everything I'd seen and everything I heard. Except he didn't fulfill what I needed. He didn't give me what I needed. He listened. That was helpful. He didn't say I was crazy. I was relieved to find that out. But he said, you know, you have to learn to listen to your heart. You need to talk this over with Jesus. You need to go back and just play this over in prayer with Jesus and see what he says to you. You need to go to him about it. That's really the right answer. It's really hard for someone who wasn't there to be objective and tell me what I needed. But I began to learn that what was going on in my head was one thing. I was falling apart. I was alarmed. I was shocked. At a heart level, my heart was at peace, and my heart was saying, this is wrong. What, you, what you're seeing, you're seeing it right. And, and give me the confidence inside. And I began the process of trying to learn to go with what's in my heart. It sounds very subjective, if you think about it. Here I had no theology. I'm a year old in the Lord. I've been studying the Bible like a... a you know, really going deep in it, but I still didn't know very much. But what John is saying here, he said, there's an anointing within. There's something that happens at a heart level, not a head level, 
that'll keep you. It'll keep you from being deceived. It'll keep you from, from uh, being led astray like many others that he was talking about have been led astray. And I began this whole process of learning how to cultivate an anointing that would keep me safe from false teaching. And I want you to have that. I want you to have the confidence. I want you to know by experience this anointing. And the Lord began to take me on a process of, of getting past my head, following what's going on in my heart. Now, if it, you could say, well, there are people who are deceived. They're following their hearts as well. It just seemed to me that the anointing within, which is subjective, something you feel, something you, you, it's not a voice you hear, it's a sense you get. That's subjective. This is objective. This is outside of my feelings. This is outside of uh, uh, my, my choices, my preferences. This is an objective, unchangeable uh, point of truth. The way to interpret this is subjective. It's with my heart, following the anointing within my heart. He said that's a safe way to keep safe, and I want you to know how to do that. When I would get past my head, I had to learn how to lean not on my own understanding, but acknowledge him in all my ways so that he could direct my path. I had to, I had to learn how to trust Jesus with this whole thing. But I found out something that I'd like to share with you tonight. He said, this anointing is true. It, there's no lie in it. This anointing is a sure thing. And I found that it was sure, even if my head didn't fully understand it. But I found out that it applies to all truth, not just biblical truth. So I found that I would say, if you know me at all, you'd know I, I like trivia. I like to, you know, dazzle people with a little bit of facts and that kind of stuff. And so I would say something that I had read but hadn't really retained. And I would say it as a matter of fact. And then my heart would say, that's not right. And I'd say, oh, that's not right. I'll have to Google that and find out I said it as a matter of fact. But my heart says, that's not right. And so I go back and I double check it, and it's not right. Well, that's the anointing. See, it's not just, it's not just Bible truth. It's any kind of truth. Someone comes to you and they're trying to sell you uh, a piece of furniture or something, and they tell you something about it, your heart will actually go off inside you and say, that's not true. That's not true. You don't hear a voice. It's a, sen it's a sense of this is right or this is wrong. Some people call it green light. Some people call it red light, depending on how it affects your heart. But this anointing is actually, I think, something of Jesus inside of us that goes off. I found that it was, it was remarkably accurate. I'd say... Uh, I would say, I'll be there at 6 o'clock tomorrow night. And my, my, that anointing in my heart would say, that's not going to happen. Again, not a voice, not words like I just said, but just a knowing, a knowing at a heart level, that's not going to happen. And I thought, whoa, I'm surprised I feel that way about what I just said. So my head says, boy, you better check that out. Happen to look at my calendar. I'm busy. That I can't commit to that. But It worked. I would see it in business. I would see it, I would tell a customer, I, I had an ad agency, and I'd say, you know, uh, setting up appointments, and I would, I wanted to see this client, then I'd see this client next. 
That anointing within would say just the opposite. Don't go see that one first. See that one second. My head would override it by saying, well, I would, you know, uh, it, this is closer. I'll do this first one, it's, you know, and then drive in order. I'll do this one, this one, and this one. Then you get there and you find out that that guy's not there that day. Then you go back to the one you should have gone to and you find out that he's just left just a minute ago. And you missed him. You missed them both. And I remember some, many times just kicking myself, saying, how could I have missed it so much? Well, it's not the Holy Spirit that's doing that inside of me. It's the anointing. There's something of Jesus resonating within my heart. What's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false. Whether it comes out of my own mouth or whether it's someone else's mouth, whether it's Bible true, it's true and there's no lie in it. You can know at a heart level that something is true before your head even catches up with it. We have to learn how to follow our hearts. Has anyone experienced what I'm talking about? You know at a heart level that this is true? Well, John's language for it, he calls it the anointing within. The anointing which you've received from him abides in you. So it can be cultivated. One way, I mean, uh, people who are dishonest with themselves, dishonest with other people, then when they hear theology that's dishonest, they don't have a defense. It's not working. And the reason is, is because there's a habit of, of lying, a habit of not saying that what's true about themselves or about their circumstances. It's a powerful thing when you state something as fact, and then your heart says, that's not true. Again, it's not words. You just know. It's a knowing. That's not true. And you stop the person. You said, you know, I just said that a few minutes ago. And I have the sense that I need to double check that fact. So, you know, disregard what I said until I can take a, another look at that. That's, that's integrity. That's handling that anointing with integrity. The more we do that, the more we'll actually cultivate this anointing within us. It can grow. It can grow so that it's useful in business. It's useful, useful in dealings. It's useful in our relationships. It's useful in our marriage. It's useful in our, in, um, as, as we study God's word. Look at verse 27 with me for a minute again. It says, uh, But the anointing which is in you, uh, you have received from him, abides in you, and you need not that anyone teach you. But the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie. Back in the late 90s, uh, a friend of mine and I, Ukrainian-American and I, we started going into the Ukraine. We'd, we'd taken in refugees in our church. And as soon as the Iron Curtain fell, we went in. We were invited to go, and we, we got in there very, very early. And uh, these strangers, I mean, you're in a strange country. You don't have a clue. You don't know who people are. You don't know. You're, you're in way, way over your head. We were preaching in this little country church, and these people came in on a motorcycle one day, and they said, we want you to work with us. Well, we don't know them. But as they were talking, there's something in our hearts that said, this is for real. This is, this is the Lord. And so we followed that a little bit further, and that man who came in on, the, on a motorcycle with a sidecar, 
he came in, he introduced us to, he said, I want you to meet some people. And uh, he had been telling them about us. And these people had started an underground Bible school during the days of communism. And it had run for many years. So a secret underground Bible school, training people to become pastors, training people uh, to be dynamic leaders. And they introduced them to us. And right away they said, will you partner with us? And our hearts were saying, this is right. This is right. We found ourselves saying, we will partner with you as long as we're coming to this country until Jesus comes back. I mean, we were saying it with a covenant kind of language, but we're doing that not based on the fact that we knew them. It took years for us to get to truly know them and see what and we found out as we worked with them for the next 10 years, that I worked with them for 10 years. They were the best men we could have ever met. They were the, they were the perfect partners the best people. In all, we got to know all these people in Ukraine. They were the best people. But before we knew that with our heads, we knew it with our hearts. We said yes to them. So we began traveling in all these remote villages to these churches, and we would call, they would call all the people together, and we would teach them uh, Bible, Bible lessons uh, that would help them with ministry and that kind of thing. And... Um, some of the churches were so eager to have us come, and other churches said, no, thank you. We don't, we don't want this in our church. And we would sit down, we're having tea with them, and we'd say, why don't you want it in your church? And they took us to this verse, verse 27. It says, because the Bible says, we, have, we do not need any man to teach us, for the anointing teaches us. We don't need teachers. We don't need a Bible school in our church because the Bible says that we don't need teachers. The anointing is going to be our teacher. And we looked at him. We'd never heard that before. And we were scratching our heads saying, you believe that, that we don't need Bible teachers? That's, you're not going to allow a Bible school? I mean, that, I wasn't saying all that out loud. But didn't, in my heart, I was saying that. But it was based on this verse. They actually took a verse that was useful and used it against us. We were, we were really surprised that that happened. Do you think that's what John is saying? That we don't need Bible teachers? We don't need to go to church. We don't need to go to seminary. We don't need Bible school. We, I don't think that's what he's saying. So I remember telling one pastor, the man who wrote this is a Bible teacher who's teaching us about the anointing. I mean, we need teachers. He's teaching us. This very thing. It's not saying that you don't have to have Bible teaching, but we don't have to become so dependent on a, on, a, on a teacher that we draw everything from a person. There's something about an anointing within that can check whether something is true or false. We don't have to depend on a, a, a person for that. But we said that, you know, in the book of Ephesians, Paul's listing all the gifts that God has given us, one of the great gifts that he's given us is Bible teachers. We need Bible teachers. We need Bible school. That, this, voice, this verse is not saying that we don't need Bible teaching. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4.
there's prophecy that was happening at Ephesus where Timothy was. The spirit was speaking. And he was expressly saying that in latter times, this is verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. See, everything that God does, doesn't matter what it is, everything that God does, the enemy comes right in behind it and does a counterfeit. It's like what Jesus was saying, that a man goes out and he sows good seed. Well, his enemy comes at night and he sows bad seed. And then one of the servants says, didn't you get good seed? He says, no, I I bought good seed. I sowed good seed. But an enemy of mine has come in at night and he sowed bad seed. But let them grow up together because if you take out the bad seed, it'll disrupt something in the good seed. Let them grow together. And he's really talking about how everything works in the kingdom. And this is an example of it. Uh, It's actually, it's not healthy for you if all bad teaching was banished. You wouldn't grow the same. He's not saying that, he's not saying that he wants it to happen necessarily, but it's a fact of life. There's no way we can stop it. There's doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. We talked... uh, I think last week about integrity. We taught about integrity. The opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is being one way on the inside, being another way on the outside. He said they're speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Then he gives some examples, forbidding to marry uh, and commanding to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by by those who believe and know the truth. Actually, that happened in a big way in the, in the days after Paul, uh, John uh, Timothy wrote this. Catholicism actually came in in a large way, forbidding certain foods and abstaining from marriage, two things that God has actually blessed, and, and we have freedom to do, but they actually forbid it, and uh, certainly forbid it for their leadership. It's created a major problem. And so... He says something here that's interesting. He says, they're speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. I heard a story one time of a pastor who was visiting this old guy. And he went to his house, and he had a big old potbelly stove in the kitchen. And on the stove was one of those tin coffee percolators and it's winter months, it's, it's cold, and he's got the, the, the stove, is just throwing out the heat, and on the stove is this pot of coffee. And he offered some to the young pastor, asking him if he wanted a cup of coffee, and he said yes, and so he took, took the coffee percolator and poured him out a cup of coffee, and it's bubbling in the cup. It's so hot, it's bubbling. And the old guy, he poured himself a cup and then just threw it down his throat. And the young pastor gasped, oh, how could you do that? And he kind of laughed and shrugged. He says, well, I'm used to doing it. I drink so much of the hot coffee like that. He said that it's cooked the nerve ends in his lips, in his mouth, his tongue, his cheeks, his esophagus. It's seared. It doesn't work the way it was intended to work, because it's been cooked. 
the nerves have been seared. It's possible to override your conscience, doing things your conscience is warning you not to do. It's possible to ignore that, ignore that, ignore that, until your conscience is seared. So when he's talking about these people sipping on doctrines, these are people who wanted to be around doctrine and they want to be around teaching, but it's doctrines of demons. Well, the reason that happened is that their conscience was seared or dulled. We can't afford that. We need to be honest to God about ourselves, about our true condition, about how we handle the Word of God with integrity. We need to be people who are as honest as, as the day. Keeping our conscience tender. If you do something, acknowledge it. If you do something wrong, bring it to Jesus. <laughs> Keep your conscience cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Keep your conscience clear. End each day. A good way to end each day would be to stop and say, Jesus, I just want to review my day. I, I, I've, done this, I've done this again just recently, just saying, I just want to review what I've been saying today. I want the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to him. But it's a shock to come to the end of the day and say, you know, I've had a conversation that I don't feel good about. I have a conversation that I didn't feel good about the direction that it was going in. And Lord, I just want to acknowledge that. I want to bring that before you. If we can do that with our, with our words, if we can do that with the motives of our heart, you won't be deceived by false teaching. The same mechanism that allows you to do that freely, next time you read scripture, you will, you'll say, you know, I'm wondering if it means this, but I better double check. I better find out. And it's a matter of integrity. We need to be people who handle the Bible with integrity. Amen? I want you to be safe. I want you to be on the front row of what God's doing. I want you to go far and wide. I want you to be open to... All the amazing truth. There's more truth being released into the body these days than any other time in history. I want you to get in on that. But I want you to be safe. I want you to be sound. Heather works at the bank. And uh, she comes home every now and again. She's like, I found a counterfeit bill today. That's a pretty exciting conversation at dinner time. And uh, the way she learned to discern that was counterfeit. She didn't study counterfeit money. You know, when John or uh, Jesus writes a letter and he talks about the Nicolaitans, he doesn't say what they believed because it's, it's beside the point. If we itemize all the things that they believed that were wrong, that's what we'd stay with. We wouldn't use that truth for other things. And so we'd say, well, unless I hear these false things. Well, counterfeit money is fascinating stuff, but you don't learn... You don't learn how to detect counterfeit money from counterfeit money. You learn how to detect counterfeit money from good money. There's a weight. There's a feel. There's a certain sense that it gives off. There's something about it that intuitively you can pick up a $20 bill and you know before you really even mark it up with a marker and take it, there's two or three other steps you can do to verify that that's counterfeit. Before you even take it to the head Head teller and have her double check it. You could know at a heart level this is counterfeit because you know the true, you know the genuine so completely. I want you to be people of the book. 
I want you to know Scripture so well in your own life. Go deep in it. Go far in it. That you could hear something, either hear a guest speaker that comes in or even out of my own lips or something that you've heard on a podcast. People send me stuff almost every week saying, what do you think of this? And is this okay? Uh, I'm fascinated to see some of the stuff they send me and to see how, how they're collecting things. But I want them to know. I want them to grow to a place where they can say, I know all things. Not that I know it all, but at a heart level, I know. I know what's right. I know what's true. I know what's false. We need to understand the Bible. That's objective. We need to understand what the anointing within does for us. That's subjective. It's like flying with two wings. You can go far in your fly with two wings. You cut off either one of those, and you won't get very far. It's not safe to fly with only one wing. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we want to be people of the book. Show us how to go deep. Use the summer to take us deeper than we've ever been before. Father, there's so much teaching out there. Some of it's not healthy. It's not, it's not wholesome. Lord, help us to be able to sort it out in ourselves. That we wouldn't need some other person to, to com completely verify or to be the one who's our conscience or the one who's our anointing. Jesus, we want you. We want you to be in the center of our lives. We want to abide in, su in such a way that you can help us to navigate all the doctrine, all the teaching, all the things that people say, all the things they prophesy. Help us to sort it out at a heart level. I pray this for our church. I pray this for my friends. I'm asking us all to be able to experience this, young and old, in the name of Jesus.